0: I said, you know, I feel like God didn't want me to talk about just the glory of Christ at the resurrection. The glory of Jesus. Because I think that we as Christians, we kind of get that. And I know it sounds arrogant. I know it sounds exclusive. But I don't think anybody else does. I didn't. I didn't feel the weight of that. I think there are weights that only Christians carry. Christians who ponder the death of Jesus till their hearts hurt. Who believe deeply that he suffered for them. Lots of people believe Jesus died on the cross. That there was a historical, you know, Jewish rabbi who, you know, made this... But we understand that he did it for us. Who but Christians feel that? In Mark's gospel, as soon as Jesus' disciples realize that he's the Messiah, he's Christ, he introduces them to this weight that they have to carry. And I don't think they counted on that. I don't think they were ready for that part. He told them to their horror that he would suffer that he would be rejected that he would die and finally he would rise again and it would only be later that they would begin to realize this even heavier bigger news that that dying was for them that the cross was it was about us it was for us that he died, he died in because of my sins in my place. It's substitutionary atonement. Then Jesus shocked them again by saying in chapter 8, verse 34, if anyone would follow me, anybody want in, he must deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. We spent a whole message on that last week. Uh, and you can, you can see it on Ustream or YouTube out there. It, it's This big idea, Jesus said, it's not just that I'm dying for you. I'm, I'm calling you to come into that and to be crucified yourself. In a different way, in a, in a more profound, deeper sense, we identify with the death and then the resurrection of Christ. That's a weight that only Christians carry. When I speak to someone of Jesus, and they say, well, okay, I'm feeling something about I'd like, what is the process? When I say, well, first, you must allow yourself to die. You must allow God to crucify you. You must die to yourself. (laughs) What? You mean just my sins? No, not just your sins. That's obviously the big idea. But really, what's behind that is your sins and your own righteousness, your own good works. All of that that you bring to the table is not worthy. He wants to crucify it all. And even some Christians struggle with that. Even some Christians go, I thought it was just about this part of me and everything else is good to go. No. The Bible says, I am crucified with Christ in Galatians 2.20. He says, I want all of you to be redeemed. Just when that seemed the heaviest, and when I, can you imagine these people getting this information for the same, you know, at the same time uh, as one another and for the first time together? And, and I just would love to have sat around the campfire and just listened to some of their conversations as they try to unpack this. And when they begin to think about this idea of Jesus going to the cross. And that somehow he's calling us to die with him. What does that mean? What, this astonishing thing happens. It's in Mark chapter 9. And, and I, I want to read this with you. Because this is the part where I changed. You know, I had this other scripture that is, is more traditional in the lines of this is what you talk about at Easter, right? And you talk about the resurrection and you tell that story and it's so powerful and I've done that probably almost every Easter. And God led me to this other event that happened before that. And then as I moved forward, the Lord began to illuminate this and kind of show me, this is why I want you to look at this scripture today. In Mark chapter 9 in verse 2, it says, After six days, Jesus took with him Peter and James and John and led them up a high mountain by themselves. And he was transfigured before them. And his clothes became radiant, intensely white, as no one on earth could bleach them. And there appeared to them Elijah with Moses. And they were talking with Jesus. And Peter said to Jesus, Rabbi, it's good that we're here. (laughs) Let us make three tents, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. So they kept the matter to themselves, questioning what this rising from the dead might mean. And they asked him, why do the scribes say that first Elijah must come? And he said to them, Elijah does come first to restore all things. And how is it written of the Son of Man that he should suffer many things and be treated with contempt? But I tell you, Elijah has come. And they did to him whatever they pleased, as it was written of him. You ever had a professor or someone teach you something, and when they get done, you just, you're just you like blown away, but you don't want to say it? You don't want to say, I didn't get any of that. I have no idea what you're talking about. What we usually do, we typically do, is we go, oh, yeah, all right. You know, you just, I'm going to roll with that, and later I'm going to ask my roommate, what in the world? I'm going to go back and, and watch a tutorial online. We just pretend in the moment that we get it. I think that's what these guys were doing. Like, oh, okay, Jesus. Well, he, yeah, totally understand that. That now, Elijah and the rising up and dying and coming back, got it. I, I got that. But then the, 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 these three disciples Saw something that no one, no mortal eyes had ever, ever seen. Yet, this is a story that feels familiar. It, it, it's got history. It's like a deja vu. It felt familiar, especially to these three Jewish disciples. Exodus 24 tells how Moses took Joshua up on this high mountain called Mount Sinai. And there they worshiped the Lord and confirmed Israel's covenant with God. And the Bible says that God came down upon Moses and shrouded, covered him with a cloud of glory, of glory. And Moses had fellowship there with the Lord Almighty. That's why this felt like deja vu to Moses. He would already done this. <laughs> I mean, Elijah was maybe like, what's going on? And Moses was like, Elijah, I've done this already. It's not going to hurt. It's, it's so cool. Watch, watch, oh, here we go, here we go. You know? And they just began to do this thing. He would already done that. So this scene is, is kind of, uh, it's, it's looking back. It's got history to it. But it's also this preview of things to come. I think this transfiguration story carries a promise tucked away, hidden away, because within it is a glimpse of our future. Our future. I mean, you can almost see the the shofar being raised up. You can almost hear the trumpets. Okay, we're warming up, warming up. Everybody, the band's practicing in the background because something's about to happen. I think these stories are all wired together purposefully. Okay, and sometimes there's, a, there's a, a danger because our modern Bibles, you know, we've broken it down into books and chapters and verses, and then within those verses, there, at least in, in most of the Bibles I have, and I have so many Bibles, it's, I, I'm praying about whether it's sinful that I have so many, and I, I go buy more, and I'm sorry, it's like Bible addiction, which is there's worse things. Um, it, it breaks it down into headings, and it describes, when you read this, here's what this is talking about. And sometimes, if we're not careful intellectually and emotionally, we break it down into those stories. And most people just read the same Bible over and over and over. You know, we, we don't break out of those. Well, I read that little section. I think that's all I'm supposed to get. And, and, and these really weren't written that way. They, they kind of flowed. And I think these events, I think the things that Jesus said, you've got to take up your cross and you've got to follow me, okay, okay? Now watch this. Transfiguration. And then start moving into these events that would lead to the the literal cross and then the resurrection of Jesus. It's, It's all the same story. It's all part of these events and I think they go together. I don't think you can have one without the other. We were not meant to carry the weight of Christ's cross on our own. And we talked a lot about that last week. That's God never equipped you or designed you just to walk around in your flesh and your righteousness carrying his cross. Somehow we get that idea. That's not what Christianity is. I think it's in carrying that cross that we, we miss it if we don't see the glory of Jesus. And my struggle, I guess, personally, uh, when I'm doing a message, when I'm speaking, um, I always have an agenda. You know that, Right? I'm not just talking and then go, how was that? Pretty good talk? Let's go eat lunch. You know, we're gone. Now, I always have something. I want to teach. I want you to learn something. I want to proclaim something. It's like i got to get this off my chest. Uh, But within that, I want you to do something. You know, I'm trying to persuade you. I'm trying to lead you to this place where you go, you know what? I need to do this. I need to stop doing that. I need to, that's, I, I've got that. And, and I think even more so because I'm part of a generation that's very pragmatic. We're like, sh- tell me, you know, we're, we're, we're so existential. Well, sh- show me how it affects me. Well, what does it have to do with me? Show me how that works. Well, what do I do now? And, and, and I feel, whether it's self imposed or not, I always feel this little burden about, I, I don't want you to walk back out without thinking, okay, what does he want us to do with that? What am I supposed to do next? And I always try to make it practical or action-oriented. Except today, and I think I struggled all weekend with this and and last week because I kept looking for those action points. You know, I'd go back into it and tinker with it and think, and here's where I can tell everybody, and so you can see this is what you ought to be doing. But it wasn't there. And I I struggled with it all yesterday afternoon and last night, uh, and the clock's ticking, and there's nothing more anxious in the whole world than a preacher on Saturday night, <laughs> you know, especially before Easter, you know, hello, uh, and, and and I just, I said, you know what, I'm too cl- I'm just, I'm too, I'm just going to go walk my dog, so I, I take her out, and, and um, Kathy's put this silly pink collar on her, and a little Easter bow, and so here I am walking through my neighborhood, and they're going like, Hey, Riley, <laughs> nice dog, nice collar. <laughs> you, you big sissy, you know. So today, in her honor, I wore a pink shirt. I thought, you know what, I can rock that and, uh, and just, and just and pull that off. And I'm walking her, and, and I'm thinking about this. And at first, all these thoughts kind of overlap, and, and they intermingle, and they, and they just feel so tangled. And I think, Lord, will you help me to pull this apart? And I felt like just walking that the Lord just seemed to go, shh, 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 sh, shh, You ever seen somebody do that with a baby? Or somebody ever do that to you? They just go, shh, come here. My mother, I would, I, I was a teenager, and my mother would still pull me into herself and go, oh, baby, oh, baby. And that's what she would say. I don't know what oh, baby meant, you know, but she'd just say, oh, baby. And it felt good. I, okay, I'll take that, you know. That's what I felt last night. I felt like the Holy Spirit is just going, shh, oh baby. (laughs) I don't want you to tell anybody to do anything. What am I up here for? You're up here to proclaim Jesus and the glory of the cross and the resurrection. And this burden, when those thoughts came to my mind, it's like this weight lifted off. And, And I said, I can go home. I can finish this. And that's where we are. To bear the cross, Christians must see the glory of Christ. And that's your message. Mark reports these three these stunning aspects of this story, this scene, what's, what's playing out here. In verses 2 and 3, there's a Greek word where he says transfigured. And I'm not going to say that to show off. I think sometimes, you know, you hear people, they throw in a Greek word, you go, ooh. You can get that out of just, you can get it online. <laughs> you don't have to go to seminary to learn how to. You can always tell when somebody mispronounces them and you think, ah, oh, I think you, you know. But the, the whole reason I mention that today humbly is, is because it's significant. It, it's metamorphic. It's uh, Jesus morphed. He changed. And what that means is that his reality, the essence of who he was became visible. He didn't turn into something else. It's just who he was became obvious. It's like pulling the mask off Batman or Zorro or that is a dumb illustration. But it's it's like we saw Jesus uh, for who he really is. And it's hard for me to wrap my head around that um, and, and what those disciples must have seen. Whoa, you're not the same guy you were last night. <laughs> Matthew writes. His face shone like the sun, and his clothes became white as light. Luke wrote, His clothes became as bright as a flash of lightning. Be sure you understand that Jesus didn't morph out of humanity into something else. Here's the big deal it's more that he he morphed out of mortality, he took off his disguise. And this glory of God that was always His shone. It was evident. And I think it's cool that this light of God didn't descend on Jesus. I was in a church once, and we did the church plays. You know what? And why don't we do church plays, Kevin? Come on! I want to do some drama musicals. I want to wear a bathrobe and tivas, and I want to I want to be in that. But we we did one of those. If you've been to a Baptist church in in your past, you've been in or seen one of these plays. They take so many people that then you got to get all your neighbors and friends to come because everybody's up here. And and I was in one of those, and we got to this scene, and we were going to tell this story, and we had a guy, and we had rented one of these huge theater lights. You know what I'm talking about? Old school con? And we had him. He was a teenager, and he was in our youth group, and he could not wait to run that light. And at the right moment, the director, the worship leader, points to him, and he's like, vroom. And it's like those movies where somebody's in prison, and they do the shirt slide. You know, Jesus standing there, and all of a sudden, "Boom!" and he's in the light. And we're thinking, that is so cool. It was high tech for that time. Now, sometimes because of that, you think of this, like this light shining on Jesus. I love this. I love this. I love this because it it didn't happen like that. It's It's not shining on him the way, like in the Old Testament, the light, the Bible says the light shined down upon the ark of the covenant. No, this shone out from within him. Because... He is the glory of God. He is alive with light. Revelation says that in heaven we'll need no sun and no moon because it says the glory of God gives it light and the Lamb is its lamp. John wrote this God is light. And in Him, there's no darkness at all. For two thousand years, God's people had greeted each other and blessed each other with these words: "May His face shine upon you." We just finished a series about Jacob, and at the climax, at the very end of it, you know, Jacob sees this light, this glory of God, and it says he sees the face of God, and he names the place uh, Peniel. You know, I've seen God face to face and lived. It's and it's this light, it's this glory. It's Jesus. And here at this place, and maybe that morning or maybe the, ne- the day before, they said, may his face shine upon you. May his face shine upon you. You know, have a nice day. You too. And there on that mountain, in that moment, it literally did. It came true. The face of God was shining on the disciples. They didn't see it coming. Luke adds that Moses and Elijah appeared in glorious splendor. They're lit up too. And that gives you a glimpse, something for you to think about this afternoon. I think that's a glimpse into our future appearance. You know, we always wonder, what will it be like in heaven? What am I going to look like? And will I have the same kind of, I don't know, but I think there's a little hint. And Luke also says they spoke about their departure. Luke is listening in. He's eavesdropping. They're talking. What are they saying? I don't know. I'm going to listen. He's listening in their conversation. says, they're talking about all of this which was about to come to bring it to fulfillment at Jerusalem. Now, Out of all the Old Testament greats, I mean the who's who, the MVPs of the Old Testament, why these two guys? Why these two? Well, I'll tell you. Turn to Malachi chapter 4. These are the very last words of the Old Testament. God's last words to His people before He falls into this 400-year silence. Verse 4, He says this. Malachi 4. Remember the law of My servant Moses, the statutes and the rules that I commanded him at Horeb for all of Israel. Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet, before the great and awesome day of the Lord comes. And he will turn the hearts of the fathers to their children, and the hearts of the children to their fathers, lest I come and I strike the land. Uh, here's this prophecy. And, and I don't think God uh, didn't tell Israel, now remember the, the law of Moses, I want everybody to be good. I want you to be moral and upright, and uptight, and, you know, I want everybody to walk around thinking about, uh, be religious. That's kind of what everybody thought, and that's the direction they went. What, What I think he was trying to communicate through those silent centuries was this. I think he told them so that they would be ready for the coming of Messiah. Everything is marching. Everything's building up to Jesus, so that these symbols and these ceremonies, these rituals, all these things that, that Moses taught would be fresh in, in their hearts when Jesus came. Because he would fulfill it, uh, he would personify it. Uh, everything would come true, and, all, and their hearts would be so restless and ready to leave this wilderness and you know, all of that waiting and waiting and waiting, ready to go into this promised land of grace. Ready to live under Messiah. Deuteronomy 18, 15 says this. Moses told Israel, now this is 1,500 years before Jesus. Moses, the guy who's there now, said this 1,500 years ago. Listen to this. The Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from among your own brothers. You must listen to him. Now, there on that mountaintop, Moses, glowing with eternal life, met that great prophet and heard God himself say, listen to him. Whoa, whoa. You know, there's two things that drew me on an Easter Sunday night to ask God to receive me forgive me of my sins, to, for me to repent and to come to Jesus. One was this community of believers around me. The friends I had who had fallen in love with Christ and who had began to, to live this Christian experience, there was just something unique. There was something different about them I didn't have. And I saw that. I became aware of that. I could sense something going on. They're different. This is real to them. It's very real. I watched them. You know, I'd go to church with them or just... There's something I couldn't put my finger on that they had I didn't have. The other thing on an intellectual level or a theological level was, was prophecy. I began to investigate this and began to read these Old Testament prophecies and saw these, these New Testament fulfillments. And that's what got me. That's what pulled me in. I thought, wait, he said this 1,500 years before and then this came true? Yeah, and we'll look at this one. And this one, and this one, and this one. And it just kept going, and it just kept going, it just kept going. One time I had this notebook, it was a 3 ring binder, and I wrote out 133 prophecies and their fulfillments in the New Testament. Later I found out there was even more than that. I thought, how much more do I need? You know, we bend over backwards to try to make something not real, not true. And I said, this is so true. This is incredible. Just on an intellectual level. I thought, Lord, I'm, I'm in. So here are these, these prophecies. Moses had set before Israel all these powerful symbols of the coming of Christ. And now there he was. Can you imagine being Moses? Can you imagine? I'm talking with the Passover lamb. <laughs> the Sabbath rest. That's you, isn't it? Yeah. He's talking with the one who would not just part the waters of the Red Sea, but the waters of death for God's people. It was Moses who had received God's stone carved laws up on Mount Sinai. Now, and he's like, I'm talking to the living word of God. Then there's Elijah. Elijah is the, I mean, if there's ever a voice crying in the wilderness, it's Elijah. If there's ever a prophet of prophets, he's the man. I mean, he is the. I was going to say the poo-holes, but then, then all the cards. No, I'm sorry. He's not with them anymore. Uh, but, the, you know, whoever your hero is, you know, you just say, Elijah's the guy. He's the star. He is the captain of, of all the, the prophets. And he was the one who said, prepare the way of the Lord. And he warned people, you need to repent. And he promised them God's grace if they did. Elijah, Elijah, he's the guy. He worked miracles that were like these these miniatures of what Jesus would do. Do you remember when he called down fire on those 400 prophets of Baal? And how he lived a life where he was always rejected and he was alone? And then, this is one of the coolest things. He himself did not die. But the Bible says he was carried to heaven on a chariot of fire. And it's almost like, I got to go. I got to leave town. Uh, I'll be back and finish this up later. Here he is. And, and he's back. Malachi wrote in verses 4 and 6, See, I will send you the prophet Elijah before that great and dreadful day of the Lord comes. God left his people peering into the future, you know, for the second coming for another Elijah. Well, we know Elijah's going to come, that, that part. This patron prophet of preparation. And now here he is on the mountain talking with Jesus. The king over whom all these prophets had spoken about. They talked about this long wait and, and about the promises. And I wonder if, you know, in this conversation, if maybe they talked about Isaiah's prophecies of a great servant who would die as a lamb for all of our sins. Or maybe they talked about Daniel's vision of one like the Son of Man coming with the clouds of heaven, whose kingdom is one that will never be destroyed. He's going, I get that now. Oh, I see. Oh, it just all unfolds. It just spills out. Elijah and Moses, they displayed to the disciples and for us that all the plans, all the hints, all the clues all the shadows, the promises of God all across the centuries of the Old Testament were fulfilled right then, right there with this one, Jesus Christ. Back to this Mark passage in 9, in verse 5 to 7. It's almost as if God... We're saying, all right, if anybody's going to build a shelter for Jesus, it's going to be me. And I'm just going to draw the draperies of my own glory around these people. I'm just going to do that myself. And God's declaration sounds kind of familiar with us because you remember at Jesus' baptism, it says, a voice from heaven, you are my son whom I love and whom I'm well pleased. Why was it important for the disciples to hear God say that again? I mean, if God says something once, you think, big deal, pay attention. If God says something again, this is my son whom I love, listen to him. I think it, it's because at this point in his ministry and in his life, Jesus has begun teaching them about the coming cross. Because they would watch Jesus be rejected and suffer, and they weren't thinking of, they weren't counting on that. That's not how they had figured this to go. Soon it would seem that nobody would want to claim Jesus as God's Messiah, because everybody said, "Well, he's got to fit this and that, and he's got to do it like," and, and because he didn't, people were like, "Ah, we met that he's not. That's not him." But there on that mountain, in that moment, it was as if God was saying, "You're going to hear all kinds of amazing things. You're going to be so confused in the days ahead, but don't doubt this for a minute. That's him." This is the son I love, and he's the one you need to listen to. He is Messiah. He's the living word. And no matter what happens from this moment forward, because a lot of crazy things are about to happen, trust me, stay with him. This story is so human, you know, because, and embedded in this story are these clumsy responses of the disciples. But I think their questions are important. And I'm a guy like that. I would be asking questions. You know, something big happens and somebody raises their hand. You know, that guy at the end of class teaches, okay, unless there are any more questions, and you're all, you think, that's it, we're done. And there's always one person that says, you "Now, so I don't understand number four. And you go, okay, get your books back out. And you go, no, I don't do that. We were that close. That's the way the disciples, they're that guy. Well, why can't we build shelters for Elijah and Moses and Jesus? We'd kind of like to build these little houses. We think that would be, we've got some ideas about that. And why can't we say anything about this? This is the most remarkable thing we've ever seen, and we can't talk about it until after you die and rise again. I mean, what is that about? Why can't we do that? And why does the Bible say that Elijah has to come before Messiah? We've always wondered about that. I mean, there's all these questions, and all these questions lead to this, that to bear the cross, Christians must see the glory of Christ in his death and in his resurrection. Verses 5 and 6, when Peter saw Moses and Elijah and Jesus all revealed in his glory, Peter, so Peter, he thinks, this is it, the big ending. You know, get, get ready to roll the credits and start the music because this is everything. And it's like we led up to this moment, and they're like, no, this is not the moment. We're getting there. This is just a step. This is just this moment. This is a temporary place. And he wanted to build a retreat center you know, right there. We'll call it The Rock. And people will come and they'll worship and there's these three houses. It's going to be so awesome. And he's like, no, we're not going to do that. We're, we're not going to do that. The time, it's, we're not, that's not here. Later you can build churches and you can build all these things. But that's not yet. It's just the beginning. And you can imagine that having just seen Jesus in all of his glory with these two long-gone men that nobody, had seen, you know, who, that now they're gloriously alive and there they are, it's a little hard for these disciples uh, to find a context for Jesus' words because I'm going to die and rise again. You die after this? Are you kidding? How could anybody so blindingly alive possibly ever die? Uh, it, it, In any normal sense of the word, we we don't get that. And God just said he loved you, and he said to listen to you. Why would you die? It just didn't add up. It didn't make sense yet. And it wouldn't until after Jesus died and he rose again, and he starts teaching them, okay, now you can see, this is how all the pieces fit together. I think that's why Jesus said, don't talk about this yet. You know, it's kind of like getting to midterm and your professor saying, "Okay, we're going to have our final exam. We're just going to go ahead. We're going to skip the next, you know, 3 months, 6 months of school. I'm going to go ahead and give you your final." You think, "Wait, wait. We're at midterm. We're uh, don't test us on that yet." Jesus said, "Don't talk about this yet because you're you don't get it yet. You you will. You will." Paul later said in 2 Corinthians 9:4. He said this, "For the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh. They're not of the flesh, but they have divine power to destroy to destroy strongholds. God always kills things. God He destroys strongholds in two ways. There's two ways. And last week we talked about crucifixion. You need to be crucified with Christ. And that's what destroy it's a violent, it's violence. The cross was a very violent event. The other way. It's through neglect. You see, some of you, and we've talked this week, and, and I've gotten some of your emails, and we've had conversations. You said, you know what? I'm crucified with Christ. And, and, and I've, I've come to this place where I can say alongside you, I'm fully surrendered. I am crucified. But that thing which I crucified, it's kind of like it's trying to get off the cross. <laughs> it's trying to come back. It's, it, it, it refuses to believe. And what do I do? I've nailed it to the cross you neglect it. You starve it to death. You see, it's just your flesh. It's just your old pattern. It's just your old habit, wanting to go to the same behaviors, wanting to go to the same kind of language, want to do the same things. Leave it alone. Ignore it. That's how you kill something. You starve it. It's either through violence or neglect. Some of you, maybe you're smokers, and I'm not trying to condemn you. you need to you know you, that's up you, you need to deal with that. But I'll tell you this, those of you who've quit smoking, remember day one, all you could think about, <laughs> you want a cigarette, a cigar, a pipe, a tobacco, whatever it is, you, you, you know and the day two is as bad in the day three. But then when a month goes by and a, and, a, and a year goes by and another year goes by. And now somebody can come up to you and say, hey, would you like a cigarette? And you go, no, I really don't want one anymore. You don't grab, you know, you don't grab their pack and go, start ripping them up and throwing them in there and violence is the only, No, you just say, I mean, I ignore it. I'll starve that desire, that addiction to death. And it goes away. Years later you think, that's so funny. At one time I couldn't live without that, and now I don't care anything about it. I don't want it at all crucified, and it's neglected. These guys are thinking about that passage from Malachi. They'd just seen Elijah. They're trying to put all this together. They can't wrap their heads around it. Jesus' answer is so strange. Jesus is always saying things, you know, first, he, he doesn't point to Elijah that they had just seen. We'll call him Elijah the first, okay? That's the glowing Elijah. Jesus is pointing to John the Baptist. He's talking about John the Baptist. That's Elijah too. And then, in the book of the Revelation, you know, there's near the end of time, the Bible talks about an Elijah the third. You know, so there's these different verbs, kind of like Terminator. <laughs> okay. See, when my theology is so messed up, you think, yeah, our pastor said it all made sense when he said it like that it's it, elijah's terminator i get it you know that but the strange thing about this is, is jesus answer has this dark tone to it he said they've done everything to him they wished and that's what i, I know is john the baptist he's talking about he was just beheaded you know by, by king herod and anyone waiting for the Elijah for the, to be the forerunner of Messiah, they're thinking about the glowing Elijah. That's who we're thinking about. And Jesus says, no, it's actually the one who's decapitated. It didn't make sense at that moment. So he said, no tense, no talking, um, because neither the glory of Christ or the prophecies of the Old Testament or the full extent of God's love for his son has been made evident. It's not clear yet that how Jesus is going to suffer and die and he's going to rise again. But they would understand And then they would tell what they've seen. Then they would worship Him with new eyes, with new hearts, and they would turn a world upside down. I think that only Christians have this awareness, this weight, and, and, and this sense of significance about what today is. There are weights that only we can carry. The weight of Jesus' awful death that He died for you and for me. The weight of repentance practiced with regularity that your friends have no idea. The weight of carrying the gospel into a dark world. The weight of living holy lives when all the time our old self complains and tries to drag us backwards. The weight of living in this dying world when we long for a better home that we know is out there. We know it's certain. The weight of dying to self daily. The weight of serving and serving and serving most of the time thanklessly. So when we walk with a limp like Jacob had from all this weight. And our hearts are heavy as Christians and we feel so burdened and bent. We need to see the glory of Christ. Friday night, we had this beautiful time of worship and we just thought about the humiliation and the suffering of Jesus on the cross. Today, I'm asking you don't fix your eyes just on the crucifix, just on the dying, just on the suffering Jesus. Look this morning in your prayers to Jesus shining like the sun. To Jesus alive with light. To Jesus who reigns in glory. Look to Jesus breaking from the grave. To Jesus rising into the heavens. To Jesus sitting on the right hand of God. To Jesus the lamb on the throne. To Jesus the rider on the white horse. To Jesus the shining victor to Jesus, our Savior, to Jesus, our King. Look to Jesus and see His glory, His glory. And when life seems so messed up, And so tangled. And when nothing looks like it's going to work out for you. And there seems to be no answer for these terrible losses. Or cruelty or the evil in the world. Remember. Remember. Moses and Elijah were there talking with Jesus. Putting all the pieces together. Seeing and beginning to understand that God's working all things together for good. Even through the rejection, even through the suffering, even through the death of His own glorious Son. There's nothing in this terrible world that will not bow bow down one day to Jesus. There's no crime, there's no catastrophe that will not be brought under His kingship. And I know it's heavy, and I know you feel the weight of being one of his followers but remember how deep the father's love is for the son and how great is his sacrifice for us and how glorious was his resurrection and how beautiful and how wonderful it will be when he returns because he will Would you bow your heads with me? I've come to this awkward place where I don't even know what it is I'm asking you to do except this. Do not miss the glory of the cross and the resurrection. Do not miss the glory of Christ this Easter. That is why we're here. That is what it all points to. Like me, you may have stumbled into church for the first time in a long time, or maybe you're here every Sunday, but you know you've never been crucified with Christ. You've never embraced the cross and the resurrection. You don't see His glory. I would love to share this day with you. We have counselors who can tell you, here's the process. Here's how you can be born again. If you're a Christian, maybe this day and all the other days have become something less than the glory of Jesus. I'm calling you back to that today. Would you stand and let's just pray for a moment. Father, thank you for today. Thank you for everything this day means to us. Thank you. The glorious resurrection of Jesus. And our hope, our future, our own resurrection is wrapped up in what this day symbolizes. We give you praise. We worship you and honor you and give you glory in the name of our King Jesus.